Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Theo Keeps Talking podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm your host, Theo. How are you all doing today? Uh, We're still under quarantine currently. We have received guidance that it will be through April 30th. We're all indoors, chilling. And today I wanted to talk about the college experience and NCAA football. So since my collegiate experience has been given the Game of Thrones kind of ending, I wanted to discuss the college experience from the Theo perspective. First and foremost, I would like to say that where you go to college does not matter unless you plan to make the most out of your experience. Uh, I went to Drexel University that had a five-year undergraduate program with 18 months of work experience built in. You get the option to go to school for four years with no co-ops, which are six-month internships, four years for one co-op, or five years for three co-ops. And if you go to Drexel, you're very familiar with all of this going on, so you can tune me out until I get to something more interesting. Uh, If you don't work on your technical skills, you maintain a strong GPA, or work on your interviewing skills, having three co-ops can be a very unfulfilling experience. So not every single person is geared towards each kind of university style, the options they may present themselves. So going to, going to school is really about what do you want out of it and how are you going to work to achieve those things? Going to a school for just the name and nothing else usually does not benefit people either. Uh, Certain schools can have good overall ratings, but can underperform in specific categories that sway your collegiate experience. Uh, For example, when I first started looking at colleges, I wanted to go to Penn State or the University of Miami, specifically because I liked their football programs and I also played football, but I didn't take into consideration until much later that Penn State's in the middle of nowhere, and I wouldn't be able to focus for a second going to school in Miami. I mean, how do you focus when it's warm and sunny literally all the time? Um, And also, I was really interested academically in the University of Chicago, and they were one of the best programs when I was applying to colleges, but they don't have an undergraduate business school program, so, uh, and that's still the case to this day, so it's it was a no-go for me. Uh, for even more of a personal uh, look into how I've always viewed college, one of my uh, lifelong childhood friends, uh, he and I went to our first ever college visit when we were 13 years old. Uh, I was really excited to get into the process of understanding where I wanted to go and everything that the schools offer. He and I both visited American University in DC. So that was our first experience. And I've always been like super into understanding what gets like, what gets colleges certain ratings or how do they perform in certain ways and things like that. To add College rankings can be influenced. I've heard that colleges have the ability to manipulate how they are rated in U.S. News and World Reports rankings on a year-to-year basis. So for any advice for anyone that could be listening or or is looking for a grad school or whatever it may be, just go to the school that's the best fit. Uh, I would definitely say that uh, me just throwing my hat in there, I didn't know that I was going to fully commit to Drexel until 
about five days before the May 1st mandatory deadline, I was really torn between University of Maryland College Park and Drexel for the longest, and then everything worked out in the end. So the last one I want to hit on on the college application portion of today is really assessing the cost of attendance. Student loan companies are part of a very predatory industry that sets your financial freedom back for years to even decades long. And I was opposed to it, but I will certainly advocate for doing community college to avoid the potential setbacks from student loans. Um, I'll definitely say that one of the greatest years of my life was my freshman year making time with like my friends and getting to know the campus, the community and everyone around me. But I'll also say that I've met plenty of people from my third year on that transferred in or whatever it may be that I am closer with now than I was close with when I was a freshman. So it there you're not going to miss but so much. You're going to get a good experience. If you're there for school and you're focused on school, that's going to work out for you. And I'll definitely advocate for my children in the future when it's time for them to start looking at colleges. I'll definitely like nudge them in direction of thinking like, hey, you know, community college isn't too bad. And especially considering the average cost of attendance over the past 20 years and seeing how that's just blown up. Um, I don't know if anyone can relate, but I remember when. I was in high school getting ready for college and my parents were suggesting, yeah, you know, just go to get a part-time job over the summer and you'll be able to pay for everything when you get to school. Mind you, I attended a five-year private university, so which cost of attendance is just shy of $60,000 a year. So I don't think me hitting a barista job at Panera was really going to afford me anything other than a few textbooks, you know? So let's get into the college experience, quote unquote, from my perspective. I'll say it first and foremost, the college experience I envisioned around my junior year of high school was nothing close to what I got, but that's a good thing. Um, my entire view of the college experience was based on pop culture, namely the show Blue Mountain State, which used to be on Netflix. Uh, the typical college experience involved football games, frat and house parties, excessive drinking, all, all of that. Uh, there are a few things that made my experience vastly different. Um, thing one, I don't drink. Uh, <laughs> I especially didn't drink when I was under 21, not because I thought I'd get in trouble, but I never wanted to. Um, I'm kind of like a health conscious person at times, so it it wasn't really it didn't seem healthy to me. I never really liked the taste, and I never needed to loosen up because I can really talk to anybody. Also, I've also been above average in size for the majority of my life, so the idea of having my now 200 plus pound self uh, under control is definitely what I want. Uh, definitely don't need me thrashing about because I already do that enough to dreams and nightmares. Uh, Thing two, Drexel does not have a football team. Uh, in fact, our most successful teams are the crew teams and squash teams. And if you've never heard of squash, just imagine racquetball with a ball that doesn't bounce. Um, and my roommate is also very, very good at squash. And these are our, and a heavy majority of US colleges and universities don't have crew or squash. So, I'll also touch on the football part a little bit later. 
And lastly, frat life never interested me for point three. I had a solid amount of extracurricular activities going on as it was, and the frats that Drexel had to offer my freshman year uh, either need, needed some seasoning, uh, were under probation or suspension, or had some hazing rituals that I just was not going to subject myself to. In addition, Drexel's college experience is incredibly different. If you're listening once to Drexel, like I said, you can forego this part. Uh, but the university is a quarter school, so it's technically year-round. So there are four quarters based on the four seasons. The quarters are 10 weeks long, plus a finals week, and all other weeks of the year are break weeks. So the academic year begins in late September and ends in early September. So if you go to Drexel under a five-year, three-co-op program like I did, which most people do, that looks as follows. So your freshman year, it's three quarters long, from and you go to school from late September to June. Your sophomore year, you have two quarters based on your co-op, which which means you either work full time or or part time depending on your major from September to March, or you go to school from September to March, and then you do the other one from April to August. In your third year school, you're not a junior; you get called a pre-junior. And that is to replace the idea of being called a fifth year senior or a super senior year. Fall winter co-op students go to school from March of their fourth year, which is your junior year, to June of their fifth year, which is your senior year, and then graduate, which makes it possible for them to attend school for 15 months in a row. And those are and those 15 months come with little breaks in between spring breaks a week, quote unquote, summer break is two weeks and then quote unquote winter break is three weeks the christmas extended break um yeah yeah spring break week and then the summer quote unquote summer break okay summer break is also a week and then the fall break so the ending of summer term which ends in august which ends in first week of september and then you have a break that's two weeks and then the school year starts the freshmen move in and then it's September all over again, brand new academic school year. And then spring, summer, co-op students go to school from September of their fifth year through June of their fifth year and graduate, which mirrors their freshman year, so nine months straight through. This basically means that your academic breaks are completely different than your high school friends, and you're working a full-time job, 40 hours a week, with 401k opportunities for six months as a teenager or a 20-year-old most often, and you do that three times, and you can't even drink during your happy hours, so it's safe to say college was completely different uh, for most Drexel students, and namely myself. I worked fall winter, and I was doing corporate taxes at 19 years old. Then I went to school from April to August and repeated until I was 22. So the work experience was incredibly valuable for me, but the idealistic college experience definitely didn't come my way. To note, I've only been to eight college parties ever. I went to one my freshman year, three my sophomore year, one my third year, which is your pre-junior year, two my fourth year, and one my fifth year. And I count parties as literally like, house parties like frat parties house parties whatever it may be uh house parties just aren't it for me i i devised three rules for a house party that determine why i never seem to enjoy them you got a drink it's better if you're single and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable and i'll go through these rules so number one you got a drink as preface i do not 
and so this is out of the window it's just not my thing um on occasion i will like if it's like graduation season and like my boys last year graduated i'll hit i'll hit maybe one fifth of a white claw you know like that that was me living on the edge other than that it's a lot of water occasionally ginger ale and i'm here to plug bubbly even though they do not sponsor me in any way bubbly is amazing i never thought i'd like sparkling water but here we are uh number two it's more enjoyable if your significant other is there and or if you're single so you got to be ready to mingle or dance your way into mingling at house parties. And I now I believe that I, a tax accountant, am a top three dancer in any venue I walk to. However, I still don't like dancing at house parties. It's just not for me. You know, it's crowded. I just don't like it. And the third thing, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So I'm a talker. Uh, that's hence the name of the podcast. I'm a talker. I'm also a big dude. You know, house parties are loud. And house parties also have minimal personal space. Now, if you're trying to throw it back on someone, hey, that's fine. You don't need to talk to do that. And you got the intimacy built in. However, I'm not trying to do that. Now, catch me at Xfinity Live and Drake Night. I'll dance. I'll do it well. But not at Summit University City or U-Cross or Chestnut Square. That's not going to happen. I'm not dancing in someone's common area in someone's house. I'm not dancing in some 4141 Chestnut Street for those who know. Ain't no way that's happening. All right. I, I, it's just not happening. Uh, I, I love when it's just nice and calm. Perfect place for me to be. Dave and Busters. Want to know why? You're just playing games. You're chatting. You're getting competitive. It's fantastic. I don't need to be at a house party. And that's how I went through my college experience. My first ever college house party. Now, this is a story. I, I think it's in my top five stories ever to tell. Um, it was Halloween my freshman year. Uh, shout out What a Time to Be Alive for making being the soundtrack to freshman year. I went to this frat house with some friends. I only had about $20 to my name, but they charged me $5 to get in, so I fork it over. The young ladies that were with me and my roommate, my now roommate, they didn't pay to get in. And that's when I learned about the economics of nightlife, which will be a topic for another day. I'm in there. I'm in my last minute thrown together Halloween costume. I was Alan Iverson and I went to school in Philadelphia. And I was with my boy Kit, who, as I mentioned, my roommate now. And you'll hear plenty about him. And he's like, hey, bro, there's drinks are downstairs. I'm like, solid, solid. I can go get some water. That's what I said to myself. So we go down these narrow, wet stairs. And I literally slip and slide down these stairs. And thankfully, I don't fatally injure anyone below me. Now I get to this Gatorade cooler and some frat bros like, hey, yo, you want some jungle juice? And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking there is not a snowball's chance in hell. I'm drink I'm drinking that. So I asked for some water, to which they didn't have any. And it's been three minutes into my first house party. I've already fallen. I can't get any water. And this intoxicated woman near me screams, I'm so drunk right now, to some like faint cheers and support, and I'm suffering. And I'm like, Alright, I just I just fell down these stairs. I'm dehydrated and this Allen Iverson jersey I, I got on. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I was. It was given to me when I was six years old. I was now 18. This thing is tiny, uh, <laughs> and I'm suffering. So Kit goes upstairs, and I follow. And the young ladies that we came with had already left the party. Five minutes in, 
They texted me saying, I'm so, we're so sorry, but it was so boring. But we're going to go to a party over at Penn's campus and we'll be back. So my listeners who do not understand the different the distance between the northernmost part of Drexel's campus, Powelton Avenue, and the frat houses on the University of Pennsylvania's campus, just to give you some scale, it's like a 20 minute walk one way. And I was reading that text like it was at this moment he knew they weren't coming back. I'm just like, there's no way. There's no way. So now we're seven minutes in. We're seven minutes into this party. I'm back upstairs. And I'm realizing this music is straight garbage. There's a hookah in the corner and beer pong in the center. And that's it. That's it for entertainment. It's just awful. To me, beer is disgusting. No matter how many baby sips of different brands I've tried, it just hasn't worked. Uh, I also don't smoke. So it's looking like a lost cause. 10 minutes into the party now, a guy comes up to me and daps me up for the AI jersey I was wearing. And he was wearing a Sixers Andre Iguodala jersey. So it was a good brief chat. And then, out of nowhere, it happens. Another lad at the party was wearing the Air Jordan 11 Gamma colorways to a house party. Already a bad idea. Some other individual at this venue probably had too much to drink and throws up on this man's shoes. I've never felt so torn for a person I've felt I've never met before. Just just the pure agony of the moment. Just just such a devastating situation. About 15 minutes in, my boy Kit was chatting up a young lady and I could I could tell where things were going and there I was on my then LG Optimus G Pro like a loser, posted up on a wall for him to get this thing going. He comes over to me like the great guy he is and says, hey, bro, we can leave if you want. Like, he's just such a great guy. But he was clearly moments away from sealing the deal. So I was like, nah, bro, you got this. So I'm an impatient person. So they had basically closed the physical gap between each other to basically planks constant without doing anything. So I expedited the the process by pushing their heads together. Now my boy was in there like some swimwear and I'm just chilling. So we're about 30 minutes in. He's, you know swapping some air uh with this woman consensually of course you know they're doing what they're doing uh very pg-13 nothing too crazy and i just get this sensation that i should leave the party this we're 30 minutes in and something just clicks in me like you should go and i was like sure (laughs) i'm fine with that so i i leave my boy there and i i'm headed straight to the door I get to the door, open it up, and the police are already outside getting ready to come in and shut it down. So I'm glad I already made my decision to get up out of there. And I'm walking past one of the police officers. He says, sir, have you been drinking? I'm like, absolutely not. Would you like to smell my breath? He goes, no, I'm good. I'm like, all right, cool. Back in my dorm. Night concluded, and I did not go to another party until one year and eight months later. So that was the story of my first ever house party. Now, the next topic I want to discuss will be the NCAA. And this won't be just the bashing of one of the worst institutions in the world, but the explanation as to why certain colleges operate the way that they do. So first, I want to tie in a point that I made previously about college football. College football is one of the most revenue-drawing spectacles in the United States, it amassed 25 and a half million viewers during the 2020 national championship game on ESPN. 
However, not only is it difficult to be good at college football, it's difficult to generate revenue from football programs for most universities. Here's a breakdown. All NCAA sports are classified in divisions, thus the terms D1, D2, and D3. However, college football has two divisions in Division I, FBS, which is the Football Bowl Subdivision, and the Football Championship Subdivision, or FCS. FBS schools are the really big schools that you've heard of, the Alabamas, the Floridas, the LSU, the Clemsons of the world. And even though Villanova has won two of the four last March Madness basketball tournaments, they are FCS. And that's because they don't have nearly enough students to maintain the attendance requirement for an FBS school. So FBS schools, really, 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 really prestigious programs football-wise, and FCS schools have a different classification. FCS schools get less scholarships used while recruiting and do not have attendance requirements, whereas FBS schools have 85 scholarships to give and must maintain an average attendance of 15,000 people per game. So the big schools have to put butts in seats to stay FBS. So why be FBS with those requirements? Well, usually when you're FBS, you can be come a part of conference television contracts, which means a TV station like a, CB, a CBS, an ABC, an NBC will pay your conference for exclusive rights to broadcast your games and you get a cut of that revenue. So FBS means there's more pressure to remain relevant, but more money if you do. More relevancy means more eyes on you. More eyes on you means it's easy to get recruiters and easy to recruit good talent that way. And you have more scholarships to give to that good talent than your FCS counterparts. But life isn't amazing for all FBS schools. They find themselves having the same problems that FCS, D2, and D3 schools have. So let's break it down. Universities are not for-profit institutions. What does that mean in a practical sense? All revenue received from all sources, so tuition, grants, donations, must get spent each year. This usually gets spent in construction costs, payroll, sports, and other needs. Usually, life is good when you're in a Power 5 conference. The quote-unquote Power 5 schools are five athletic conferences that dominate in revenue, championships, and recruiting for athletic sports. These are the ACC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, and the SEC. So for reference, Duke and North Carolina and Virginia, Miami, those are ACC schools. Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan, those are Big 10 schools. Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, those are Big 12 schools. UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon, those are Pac-12 schools. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, SEC schools. So when you see that SEC school LSU spent a whopping $28 million on a football training facility, technically they received the $28 million in donations and investments to spend. They had to spend it since they are not a for-profit institution. The school can't keep any revenue, and since they won the 2020 championship, they have more money to blow than ever. As a side note, 
The most expensive college football facility is the University of Oregon's $68 million, 145 square foot Nike facility that they got hooked up with in 2013. I promise you, you definitely want to look this up for yourself. It will blow your mind. But what about the schools that don't win or aren't popular? Well, it gets rough for them. Football stadiums are massive capital investments, as well as paying for staff, equipment, and utilities. For the majority of football programs in the NCAA, the mix of ticket sales, merchandise sales, and potential TV deals do not exceed the yearly depreciation expense that the stadiums incur. To summarize, most college football programs lose money. What does that mean? It means that other programs then get less money to spend since the budget got crunched, even if those programs are winners. I took a sociology of sport class at Drexel, and one of the articles we examined was a Wall Street Journal opinion article written in 2016 by none other than Drexel University President John Fry, otherwise known as Fry Daddy. He detailed many points I was familiar with and provided some insight into the costs of college programs. What I learned was that in 2016, only 20 out of 130 FBS athletic programs saw an op a positive operating margin, with the average loss being $17.6 million. In most cases, student fees are used to fund athletic programs, and Old Dominion University, as an example, saw their athletic budget was 65% funded by student fees. I also read an article by Andy Witchery from athleticdirectoru.com who measured the recruiting costs of the public power five schools in the country. So these are public schools, not private schools. The University of Georgia spent $3.6 million on recruiting expenses uh, alone for college football last year, which was up $1 million from the previous year. The lowest average recruiting per conference was the Pac-12, which was still $807,000 per year in recruiting expenses. So these schools are spending a lot of money to get their talent in there. And that makes sense, right? You have you have fans who want to come see your games, right? The more exciting your team is, the more merchandise sales, the more sponsorships you're going to get, partnerships you're going to get from outside Vendors like certain bars in the area will uh, have deals going on. It's just better for the overall economy in your city or whatever. That's why there 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 are certain universities that are just college that are in college towns. There are football based schools. One one of the better examples I have, even though they haven't won much, my dad graduated from East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, and he played on their football team. And when you go down to Greenville, once you finally get kind of near the university, everything's purple and gold. Like the car dealerships have like all their flags everywhere. And you can just tell that everything around that area is based on that football team. And that's completely different than when you go to school in a city, because there's also more than one school to worry about, right? Like Drexel shares a street and an entire district of Philadelphia University City with Penn, um, and I guess U Sciences, but whatever. And <laughs> and then you have Temple, Villanova, LaSalle, and it's just a lot of schools up there. So the, your, the, 
the prevalence of a college football program, it does matter more when you go to a more rural or a suburban school than it would if you went to school in a city. So I do understand why certain schools such as Drexel do not have football programs at all. You know, one, it's in a city, so there's nowhere to put it, right? Temple rents out the Lincoln Financial Field, which is owned by the Eagles. Um, Penn has their own stadium and they get first mover advantage because Penn got to University City before Drexel did. And there's nowhere for us to put a football school, a football program. We had one, I think the last time we fielded a, a team was either in the 60s or 70s. And now if you look up what the quote unquote Drexel football team is, it's a, it's a comedy club or something like that. Uh, or a improv group that Drexel has. And it's it's funny. Um, second, it's unbelievably expensive. All Drexel sporting events were free attendance with your school ID, as opposed to a Penn State, where there's a rush to pay for season tickets upon release, even from the students. Um, so yes, I wholeheartedly believe that having a college football team for our super disjointed student base would make the school feel more connected and add just just a crumb of school spirit but i completely understand the associated costs right there i don't feel as a member of the drexel community i feel as though there there's definitely more of a we go to school to work more than we go to school to go to school kind of atmosphere around the university but that also just comes with the territory um we have such a unique system like uh, the most popular co-op schools in the country are us in northeastern university which is located in boston and so many of us are either working in philadelphia but you're not at the same time as your friends or you're working in new york because you're in finance or that's just where you want to go there's so many overseas co-op and internship opportunities i did all of my co-ops in maryland so i was only in philadelphia for half the year then i was in maryland for the other half of the year so there's been people that i legitimately may have the same major as we might be in the same student organizations but i'll never see them since i'm in a different location than them half the year and then they're working the other half or whatever it may be so there's a lot of there's a lot of missing each other in the Drexel student community that I believe would be helped by having a, a college football program. But when you just look at the numbers that only 20 out of 130 FBS, FBS programs, mind you, made a profit, that's just insanity, right? If you're talking that only 15% of the most popular college football programs in the country made money and the like the associated press ranks the 25 best schools in a year then there, there's a there's definitely a problem there and even if you're in the sec which seems like it's just an automatic money maker since you're in one of the most prestigious conferences in the world so in conclusion, I would say, does Drex, do schools have to have college football programs to remain relevant? Probably not. Uh, you will probably get better recruiting by having one, but it's only if you're good. And as we detail today, there are a lot of associated costs with being good. 
on top of that, there are a significant amount of hurdles that you have to jump through when you're talking about NCAA regulations. There's a lot of corruption and scandals that go on, especially when you're talking about college football and college basketball as well. And on a later podcast, I'll talk, be talking about how college basketball works out and tries to pipeline kids from like high school to the NBA and how colleges can benefit from that in their own kind of way. So I want to say thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, like I said earlier, you can find me on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Uh, I've been updating, uploading every Saturday at this rate, and I think I'll continue to do that for the foreseeable future. So thank you for tuning in. Stay, stay, stay safe, stay healthy, continue to wash your hands, and I'll see you next time.